Amen. Well, I'm excited this morning for 1 Timothy. And uh, as we studied the last five verses of Timothy, we took two weeks. We studied the first three and then now the last two today. But I want to kind of give a quick review that uh, the last five verses of 1 Timothy talk about handling treasure, handling things that are valuable, that are most important. And verses 17 through 19 talked about handling money in particular, that treasure. And we said last, or it was two weeks ago, but we said that it's not wrong to possess wealth. In fact, we are all rich. Remember, we turned to each other and said, you are rich. In fact, just do that here. Turn to your neighbor, say, you are rich. And when we talk about being rich from a biblical perspective, that means that you have more than you need. And even the least among us, you have more than you need just by the fact that you live in West Michigan and uh, that's the truth. The big takeaways were we need to be careful with money. How we handle money is important. And really the big question was, what are you doing with your wealth? And uh, boy, that was challenging. You may want to go back and revisit that. But as we really close today, <laughs> First Timothy, we're going to talk about handling a different type of treasure. We are talking about handling the treasure what we call the Word of God, the double-edged sword, our standard for life and for ministry, right? It's the Word of God that corrects and rebukes and also encourages. It brings comfort and hope is rooted in the Word of God. We find peace in the Word of God. It gives us direction. It leads us to repentance, to salvation. And this is important, church, the way we handle the truth of God's word, it matters in our lives. In fact, if you were to move away and needed to pick another church someday, uh, obviously you wouldn't move away you know, locally and pick another church, I'm just saying. But I would say that the most important thing in my mind in a way to pick a church is the way the church handles the word of God. It's not just having an interesting pastor or preacher or the intensity of the preaching. It's not the worship or the music that is, more, that is most important. It's not even as important what bent, as far as Pentecost or not, is important, or even the children's ministry. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I'm not going to church unless the children's ministry is strong. And I get that. I was a kids pastor for a lot of years. But listen, the way that that children's ministry handles the Word of God it's more important than just fun and games, and that's really important. I would say it's not as important as the spirit of the church or the feel that you walk in and say, boy, that just feels good. Listen, the handling of God's word is the most important thing, more than fellowship, more than a good parking lot or a good building or a family atmosphere. The number one thing is what does the church believe about the Bible and how does it affect the life of the church? That's the most important. Is it authoritative? I like what John MacArthur said. He said that the church must be the safe that keeps the truth and the voice that proclaims it. 
And I like that. I put that on the screen. You can write that down. And at the Gateway Church, we have demonstrated over the past seasons um, that there's a growing desire to know the truth. And the rubber's going to meet the road on June 1st. If you all show up, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but we do want you to show up. And uh, that there's this desire to know God's word and to rightly divide it. It is important. Another commentator said this, the worst crime against God is mishandling his truth. And I thought, wow, that's good because it's a treasure. It's sacred. In fact, turn with me to Psalm chapter 138. Psalm 138, we get some insight to God's word. I really uh, like this. Verse 2 says this. It says, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word above anything else the name of jesus and the word of god is exalted it's scripture we know is a self-revelation of god and if we were to twist it or to pervert uh, the word of god in any way we would be perverting god if you believed it if you said, well, I, yes, I believe God's word, and then you didn't live according to God's standard to the best of your ability, who would follow, right? It would be a real scandal. If you say, yeah, I believe it, but I don't act it out. And so it's tricky. We have got to honor God's word and then to the best of our ability to walk it out with the Spirit's help. In Psalm 119, uh, verse 61, it says this, it says, my heart trembles at your word. My heart trembles at your word. That the word would be sacred, that it would be esteemed. I, I, other places in, in um, Psalm, it talks about delighting in God's word. If you read through Psalm 119. And it's interesting, when I was a kid's pastor, I would bring my nursery workers together and I would talk about, even at an early age, how we can introduce the Bible to children. And we would do this at, in Bethel, and we've done it here, and I've talked about it at times, that we would give Bibles, uh, or we'd have Bibles in the nursery, and we'd have children hold the Bible, treasure it. We would talk about it. We'd even have kids kiss the Bible, and uh, just to kind of honor that, even before they could speak. And then once they would understand that, we'd have kids hold it. And uh, we'd, you say, that sounds kind of silly. That sounds crazy. Listen, we wanted to honor God's word, and we want to honor God's word here as a church as well. It is important. And Paul, in writing to young Timothy, uh, a young pastor, he understood this the sacredness, the timelessness, the importance of God's word. And that's what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 20 and then verse 21 as well. And with that, I'm going to ask that you would stand honor God's word. I know we only got a couple uh, verses here to read, but I want to honor God's word like we typically do. And uh, after we come to the end of this, I'll pray. And, uh, and then we want a big, strong amen, okay? All right, this is what, he's finishing this great letter, and he says this, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. And all God's people said, 
Amen. All right, Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would just let it just sink into our hearts. God, let it challenge us today. And God, that it would just move us to action today. In Jesus, we just honor you in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. So I want to just kind of walk through this verse, uh, these couple verses this morning and kind of bring some highlight. At first, it says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. In this verse, we see this idea of guarding the word of God, like a soldier would guard a command. It's critical that we view the Bible in this way, that we would keep watch over it. And you say, well, how do we keep watch over the Bible? We do that by rightly or accurately proclaiming it week in and week out. And if we fail to do that, we are not guarding the word. So the danger in the American church especially is if we don't focus on the Word of God, what happens is we would become biblically illiterate. The truth would vanish, and we would be open to whatever wind of doctrine would come if we're not rooted in the Word. It's dangerous if style becomes more important than the substance, if presentation becomes the thing that's most important. We would be in danger. If we don't encourage each other to read it, when you pull it out and you haven't read it, you could pull things out of context much easier. The point is, is that the Bible, the Word of God, is sacred. It's the most sacred book there is. I was just thinking about it this week, and I'm curious this morning, how many Bibles do you have, do you own? And uh, uh, just think about it, if you can add it up in your mind, maybe at your house, in your household, um, how many, uh, well, first, first of all, is there anyone here that does have no Bible in your home? Is there anyone at all? All right. I didn't think so. All right. Uh, how many have at least three Bibles in your home? Just raise your hand. All right. How many have at least five Bibles in your home? All right. A lot of hands here. How many, maybe seven uh, Bibles? Yep. Uh, nine Bibles, when you think about it, add them all up. Anybody over 12 Bibles in your home? Yep. All right. Uh, Any 15? All right. Any over 20? All right. Well, it's our elder family, and I guess that's good. (laughs) Uh, How many different versions of the Bible? I mean, if you pull it, if you're counting all the versions on your on your tablet or on your phone, you know, there's, there's crazy amounts. And what happens with the Word of God is it becomes common, doesn't it? If we're not careful, we can toss it, right? We can leave it in our car in the, in the back window and it just, you know, melts and, you know, kind of you know, gets faded out, right? Or we may just leave it there and it gets dust on it, right? Because we got other ones maybe that we're looking at. And, and sometimes... In our culture, because the Bible is so readily available, it becomes less noticeable, less sacred, not intentionally, but sometimes we forget about how important the Word of God is. On the flip side, can you imagine a culture that had 
no word of God. When I was able to go to China a few years back and we were taking the fire Bible with us and smuggling those in, we didn't get a chance to meet the house church because we got busted. Some of you guys know the story. Um, but we, we understood that we were bringing Bibles in by the dozens and each Bible would be available for about 50 believers. One Bible, 50 people. Can you imagine? And then we look at how many we have, and I'll tell you, the Bible is sacred there. They would treasure it. They would pass it along, and they would protect the Word of God. Now, we don't want it to become an idol, like this is something that we revere, not the actual uh, book in itself. And, uh, and we struggle at times throwing away Bibles. How many have ever, maybe that's why you have so many. Uh, you, you know, you're like, hey, you know, this Bible's falling apart. What do I do, right? I mean, do you burn it? I mean, that seems wrong, doesn't it? We have Bibles that are kind of throwaway Bibles that we provide in the back. And when they get kind of, you know, ratty looking, we send them to someone else to get rid of them. <laughs> and no, we, we'll take them out. We'll throw them because it's not an idol. It's not, it's not something like that. But it is sacred, and we've got to be careful. Now, the danger, again, is if we don't, uh, if we don't honor God's word, if we don't what uh, Psalm 138.2 says, it's exalted above all things. It's talking about the word of God. If we don't guard it, if we don't honor the word, then we are missing a huge responsibility as the church. And Paul, he understood this. He understood it deeply. And in the pastoral epistles, in First and Second Timothy and in Titus, it, this was certainly Paul's heart. There was a huge theme to protect the Word of God. And I'd like to just kind of walk us through a few verses here. And when I say a few, I mean a few. And uh, what I want you to do is one of two things. You can flip with me. The verses will be on the screen, or you can write those down to look at those later. But we're going to work through these pretty quick, starting in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says this, I urge you, when I, I urged you when you were, uh, when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to, to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Right, after, right out of the gate, Paul is talking about guarding the word of God. Verse 6 and 7, some have wandered from these and have turned to meaningless talk. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they are confidently affirming. Verse 18, we see, Timothy, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once told about you, so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. And what is that talking about? He's holding true to the gospel. That's fighting the good fight. Chapter 2, verse 7 says this, And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an, an apostle. I am telling you the truth, and I'm not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. The true faith. Chapter 3, verse 2, we see uh, a list of qualifications for a pastor. And it's interesting that they are almost all character or moral driven, except in verse 2 it says, the pastor must be able to teach. And that's a skill. And it's able to teach. It's important that a pastor can do that. And it's interestingly, that is a skill that can be developed 
over time, and I'm grateful for that. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in late, latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Chapter 4, I just read that, 1 and 2. How about verse 6 says this, If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. He's highlighting. Verse 16 is the warning. Watch your life, right, and your doctrine closely. In chapter 5, verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are well are worthy of double honor, especially those who are working in preaching and teaching, the value to guard God's truth. In chapter 6, verse 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Talking about the faith uh, of the gospel. Verse 14 says, to keep this commandment, I charge you to keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 6, verses 20 and 21 that we've read, and that's just in 1 Timothy. Can you see the theme here that to guard the word of God? It continues in chapter or in 2 Timothy. And I just want to highlight a few of these. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted in you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit's help to guard the truth. Chapter 2, verse 2 says this. And they... And the things that you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. He's talking about the importance of passing on the truth so it can be communicated without error. Chapter 2, verse 15, great verse. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is the charge to Timothy as a pastor, saying, look, keep it straight. Cut it straight like a tailor would you know, fit some clothes. You never cut things you know, zigzag and then try to sew it together. Cut it straight. Chapter 3, verses 12 uh, and 13 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are people that will intentionally or even unintentionally wrongly handle the word of God, and it is possible to, to uh, veer off guard. Verse 16, all scripture is God's breathe, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, right, and training, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, verse 1, in the presence of God and the Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. And we're taking some time to look at the pattern here. Preach the the word. Why is that important? Verse 3, for time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. In America, there are churches that, that are just grossly misinterpreting, missing the mark, and we've got to be aware of that. It goes on, for they will turn ears to, um, 
away their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all circumstances, endure hardship, and uh, do the work of evangelists, discard, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then it continues in Titus, just a couple of quick verses here. In Titus 1.9 says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And we'll talk about that. Chapter 2, verse 1, You must teach what is according to sound doctrine. In 7 and 8, In everything set them an example by doing good. In your teaching show integrity, right? Uh, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And the last one, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments, quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Everyone will go, phew, that's a lot, right? Over and over, Paul is saying, guard the truth. Make it a priority. Do your best. He says to guard it. And then he says, not only to guard the truth that's been entrusted to you, but then he says to turn away. Look at it, verse 20. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. What is Paul talking about here? This is the contrast, right? Godless chatter, anything that is secular in regards to our thinking, when it comes to preaching, uh, when a preacher talks about stuff that does not matter or just fills a message with stories or social experts and brings in and, and doesn't highlight the word of God or a pastor will illustrate themselves to death, that can all be related to what... Paul would be considering, I think, godless chatter. We've got to be aware of that. We want to turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas. What is opposing ideas? Certainly in our culture, it would be liberal thinking. I would, I would believe I could stand for that. In that culture, it, where Timothy and Ephesus, it was neo-orthodoxy, and uh, that's a whole study in itself. But what we're talking about is turning away from ideas of false knowledge, social implications with the gospel, uh, diminishing the value of the gospels, diminishing the value of miracles, uh, contradictions, studying, uh, bringing an intellectual bent to scripture and not keeping it scripture based. And the result is this idea that people, when you do that, would become barely grounded with the truth. And a wind of doctrine comes, and all of a sudden, they're way off course, and it can be dangerous. Someday you wake off, and you've wandered even from the faith. You say, how does that happen? Well, it leads us to verse 21, and it says this, verse 21, which some have professed, and in doing so, so they got caught up in godless chatter, and in false knowledge, and in doing so, they have wandered from the faith. Now, this is an interesting verse. This is the consequences. Being open-minded to worldly things, the risk for any of us is that you and I, we could shipwreck our faith. 
How many have heard of the stories of people that were on fire for Jesus, serving God, doing great things? Could be a young person. I've heard of even pastors or even pastors' wives that were just sold out uh, for the gospel, loved the Lord, and over time they got off target and all of a sudden they couldn't stand. They've wandered. They no longer believe the, the word. They're never in church, whatever the case might be. You say, how would that happen? Listen, even, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, Jim Jones, uh, the big story back uh, years ago, there were a bunch of evangelical Christians in their midst. You say, how in the world does that happen? It's subtle, it's sneaky, it's wandering from the truth of God. In church, we cannot afford to open our mind uh, to just anything. It could potentially kill your faith. And so you stay away. Jesus said, beware of false teachers. And he was talking to the disciples, but he's talking to us. That is a, that is a word for us today. Jesus, beware of false teachers. Therefore, we need to be careful. And by the way, we don't need to argue or debate. We, can, we need to learn to love. And uh, it's interesting, this, even this week in my John 17 group, which is a group of pastors I get together with, we were talking about this. We're studying 1 John, and uh, in, in 1 John chapter 2, talked about uh, we kind of the, this, this, the, the discussion came up about losing salvation. And we've got a variety of uh, different denominations in my John 17 group, and it's an interesting study. I think when you look at Paul and his theology, especially in the pastoral epistles, he talks about people turning away or walking away from the faith. In my mind, they once had the faith and then walked away. Uh, there's in verse one or chapter one and in chapter uh, in, in Second Timothy talks about shipwrecking their faith, the idea that they were sailing in the right direction and then all of a sudden something happened. And I believe. Uh, my interpretation is that you can lose your salvation. You can walk away. Um, I don't believe that it's as easy as some would, uh, would uh, acknowledge. I don't think that you're saved one moment and then the next you sin and all of a sudden you're not saved. I don't think it's anything like that. But over time, it is possible in my understanding of Scripture to walk away from the faith. If you can walk into it, why couldn't you walk away? And that's a huge discussion that we can't really uh, take time to delve in. Maybe when we look at 2 Timothy, we can talk about that around round tables. That'd be fun. But, there, but what's, what's important is not only to look at the negative side, but to look at the benefits of guarding the truth. And there are incredible benefits to guarding the truth. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 2. It says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Why? So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The first benefit of, no, of guarding the truth is that it produces spiritual fruit in your life. You will grow as you honor God's word. In Psalm 119, verse 105, there's personal guidance that comes. The word is a lamp unto my feet, if you know it, say it with me, and a light unto my path, right? And that word I hide in my heart so I don't sin against God. How about Romans chapter 15, verse 4? It says this, For everything was written in the past and was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scripture we might have hope. 
we find hope and comfort in God's word. It's rooted right there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, another great spot to turn to receive power from God's word. Look what it says. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you study that verse, and we're not going to take the time to really dive into it, it, there is power in the word of God. And the last thing, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 Look what it says. It says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Then it says, stand firm in the faith. You could put in there, stand firm in the word of God because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. They Ultimately, there will be victory from the enemy over the enemy. Jesus modeled this, didn't he? When he was tempted in the desert, when he got away for Sabbath, he's out uh, fasting, praying in the desert. The devil comes, tempts Jesus. And what does Jesus say over and over? It is written. He comes back to the word of God and it gave Jesus victory and it will give you victory. It'll give me victory as well. And so we honor it. We guard it. We trust it to faithful people to share it. And then Paul closes 1 Timothy. Turn back with me there. Verse 21, he ends with these few words, grace be with you. It's the same greeting or the same salutation as in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and in Titus. And what's interesting is it's a different finish from all the other works that Paul wrote in Scripture. It's close, but there are some distinctions there. And I think here, there's a couple things that are highlights to me. You say, isn't that just a closing statement? Yes, it is, but, there, but listen, Paul understood, number one, that he needed God's grace in his life. He needed it. Salvation comes by grace. And then day to day, that grace is needed in Paul's life. He's writing specifically to Timothy, and grace be with you, Timothy. Timothy needed the grace of God, and Paul understood that. With all the challenges that they were facing in Ephesus and that church, Timothy needed the grace of God. But what's interesting, when you study that, it's, it says grace be with you, and it's almost like, well, the you is plural there, and he's saying as if, this letter would be read, read by the masses. All of you. The grace be with all of you. To whoever reads this and to those who are doing what they're called to do, we would need the grace of God. Isn't that powerful? And Paul understood that. He spoke that. He wrote that. And I was just curious this morning, how many here this morning need God's grace today? Maybe for salvation, but just in your day today. And that grace comes as we guard the truth, as we turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas. When we are alert, there are many who would not embrace the truth, but as we embrace the truth, 
uh, and we don't keep it just about feelings, God's grace is sufficient for us. A couple quick takeaways, and I don't think I added these to the slides. I apologize. Um, But the first one is that the message of the gospel, God's word, it is fixed. It is inflexible. But the methods of how we share God's word are not fixed. And I think that's an important distinction. Some of you guys know this. Um, This week we were talking as a staff uh, in one of our leadership times about the clutter, about the noise that is in our society and how we as a church, we need to be able to stand out, to get our word out, and uh, we can't just do the same things over and over. Really, a very interesting leadership lesson. You say, how do we stand out? Well, you know, there's, in our culture, social media is a big thing, and so we try to engage in that. Even next week with Mother's Day, we want to make a presence there where we give a chance for you to talk back and to, to because preaching is kind of a one-way street mostly, uh, unless you're Michelle Boss, because she always talks back, but, uh, which is just fine. But listen, we live in a society that kind of honors or kind of values, at least today, this conversation. And you look at uh, you know, anyone that watches a movie at their house uh, these days, and I would suspect that this is true in your house, you don't just watch the movie You've got your phone in your hand or a tablet or you're sitting at the computer interacting, doing something else. That's just the way it is. Isn't that the truth? We don't shut it off, do we, at our house? Hardly ever. The other night we were like, Jessica and I were like, turn those phones off. We were watching this movie that the kids picked and they're on their phones. We made them put them down. And then, we were, and then Jessica's phone beeps and she looks at hers and we're like, all right, it's fine, it's fine. Isn't that the way it happened? It is. But we don't turn it off. Even The Voice, how many of you guys watching The Voice? The instant save at the end, right? That's the value of that instant communication in our culture. So we ask the question, how do we stay sharp? How, you know, we're not bringing flannel graphs back next week, okay, for Mother's Day. I'm sorry if that disappoints anyone. But the message is fixed, but the methods are not necessarily. Amen? Number two, our mandate is to defend the truth. Our mandate is to defend the truth, not to offend people. And sometimes this is hard. How do we not be offensive when we defend the truth of God's word? And I would say this, that the cross of Jesus Christ is offensive. The Bible says that it is. It will offend. So let's make sure that it's the cross that is offensive, not the person sharing the truth. Amen? And there's a distinction there. Let the cross do it. We don't need to blow people out of the water with our knowledge. We don't need to argue about miracles or angels or tithing or giving. We need to love people. We don't need to argue about abortion or homosexuality. We need to love people. Jesus was a friend of sinners, church. That means people like to be around them. And sometimes... If we get on our high horse and we start swinging the bat, we can become offensive and we can turn people away. And I just want to say, be careful with that. Be loving. We need grace. We need compassion. And when it comes to politics, I know it's a political season. uh, We do not need to be militant. 
We, yes, we want to take back America, right? But I'll tell you, the elections, as important as it is, and we need to vote, I believe in that strongly. I like what John Lindell said back in 2008 in an election year. He said, at that time, he said, a man in the office, I would say a man or a woman in the office, is not going to change the world. It is going to change the world when we, the church, all of us, are reaching our neighbors one by one with the truth of the gospel in a loving manner, period. And with that, I just want to pray over us. And then I want us just to consider a couple things quickly. Lord, I just pray that your word would become the truth. I mean, it is the truth, but it would become the truth for each of us. And Lord, that we would be strong because of your word. God, I pray that your word would not be just shoveled and uh, pushed aside, but Lord, it would be a highlight in this place, but not only here at the Gateway Church, as we go, that it would be what rules us, that it guides us, it helps us, brings comfort in every way. And God, I pray that as we honor your word, Lord, that you would bring those benefits, the fruit of God's word, the, the challenge the, of the personal guidance and the comfort and the power and ultimately victory over sin. God, I thank you that your word does all those things and we just honor you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I'm